Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back inside the Feral Zone. I am Renee Coleman, operating under cover of darkness from an undisclosed location with my guest co-host, the night nurse, my unindicted co-conspirator and lifelong friend, the illustrious Miss Nicole Pavi. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, Renee. Welcome. Oh, so thank you for setting all this up here. It's uh, it's great to be here in this this uh, beautiful uh, garden district location. We 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 shall not uh, disclose any more than that. Yes, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Oh well, uh, yes, thank you for setting this up. And and uh, should say uh, Nicole has been the facilitator again, the 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 co-conspirator, unindicted co-conspirator in uh, getting one of her longtime associates. Dear, dear friend, my dear friend, yes, and, and Dr. It, Donald Schuler yes. is with us this evening. Yes, to, yes, and, and I was going to do do an intro for for, for Don here. Is a, he, we're, we're here in his, his lovely home in the Garden District. Uh, Beautiful. Uh, Don is a, an author, an academic, uh, former activist, activist uh, uh, professor, uh, conservationist, raconteur, former French Quarter denizen. But uh, without further ado... The great Mr. Don Schuler. Welcome, Don. Well, hello. I'm a little bit appalled by the generosity of the introduction. But okay, <laughs> that's part of my shtick. I like to. Yeah, yeah. I like you, to overwhelm you, the guests with. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally intimidate me. No, I have to live up to all this crap. <laughs> oh, that's okay, Don. Nothing so, intimidates you, Don. Don't be daft. Right. We'll see. We'll see. So. Uh, so, so Don, thank you so much for, for entertaining us here. And, uh, you know, we, you have a tremendous story, uh, and, but uh, you, you're not originally from New Orleans, correct? Oh, no. I'm from the depths of, of Victorian Brooklyn. Really? Tell us about that. Well, it's, uh, my father was a very distinguished veterinarian who had the good sense to make serious contributions to the political machine in Brooklyn so that he became a very, really the most eminent Victorian, I mean, uh, veterinarian in Brooklyn, you know, had with uh, the Bronx, I mean, the Brooklyn Zoo and all that sort of thing. Okay. Don, you were born um, on the eve of the crash of the stock market. Yep, is that yep, right? yep. And I'm going to be going out on the the next uh, the ultimate crash. Oh, do you, you think we have one coming? Oh up? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Total disaster. I mean, now that I'm leaving, you know, I want something to comfort me when I go out. Uh, the, the leaving devastation <laughs> yes, in your wake. Yes, that's, exactly. That's that's your goal. Yeah. How old are you now? <laughs> 92 years old nice. 92 and a, and a half a year so uh, still counting the halves huh yes <laughs> no one no doctor no one ever has ventured any explanation of how i've survived this long i certainly i can't provide one yes because you you still smoke uh oh yeah chain, chain smoke almost really not almost. Okay, <laughs> completely. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and you you still like to have your uh, your uh, martinis? Yeah, it's a little bit watered down, but yes, uh, still 
cannot live without the taste of gin. <laughs> a man after my own heart. <laughs> nice. So, so you had a, an idyllic childhood there in Brooklyn, would you say? Well, until the age of six. Okay. My, you know, in those days, my mother... Oh, well, this is rather personal. My mother died of uh, pneumonia. My father committed suicide oh, a few sorry. months later. So uh, the scene changed somewhat after that, although we were very fortunate. Um, I wasn't a w helpless little welfare child or anything like that. We were able to continue living in the same house. Oh, wow. And... Uh, had guardians and all that sort of stuff. So I didn't suffer materially too much from Right, but that, that had to be a big shock to your your, your whole uh, yeah, world. Yeah, it was the beginning of teaching me to live on my own, which has been a good education all my life. Right, right. So you had siblings at that time? Yes, they were all older than uh, I am. And, uh, okay. Yeah, my... We were, you know, relatively close, but there was a, a good span of years between us. My, uh, I was mostly close with my little gang of fr friends my own age. Okay. That, yeah. So you lived there in, in that same in in, in Brooklyn till you uh, graduated from high school or something? Uh, no, no. I mean, I actually. Were you born in that brownstone? Were you born in the I same? honestly don't know whether I was born in a hospital or in the brownstone. I suspect my father was a pretty scientific person. I think I was probably born in a hospital. Right. Uh, but uh, no, at the uh, age of 12, I went to a high school, the High School of Music and Art in Manhattan. Mm. And it was a total shift in cultural interfaces i mean the, these this was manhattan in the golden age towards the end of the war well anyway in the middle of the war mm -hmm. but the manhattan of that time was uh really a wonderful place to to uh be and uh what year was that don uh, 1943 Three. 1943? 43, I think, something. Yeah, about that. So what, what did you go to that high school for? Were you a musician or artist? No, no, I was the art field. And so okay, on. you're an illustrator and that kind of thing? Yeah, drawing. I mean, I love art. I'm mm -hmm. very interested in it, but I've never been that serious about being an artist, a painter or a sculptor or anything like that. I do like to sculpt on the side, but that's... Uh, Okay. But it was a different, the student body was incredibly different. I mean, these were all bright, smart, avant-garde kids with bright, smart Manhattan families. I and feel like that about Renee. Renee and I met in high school. Yes, and we, I feel like, like our years, at, the fact that we both went to Franklin was a turning point in in my sensibilities as well. Absolutely, yes. It was. Uh, it takes you out of the the neighborhood and and yes. all the the small uh, concerns of the neighborhood and and shows you a, a and much you meet broader. Other people who are uh, like minded in a way that you didn't know they were like minded or needed to know. You don't feel so alone. Yes. Yeah. You, you, like all the all the freaks go to to one school and you're like, oh, there are other freaks out speak, there. Speak for yourself. Okay. Renee, well. Okay? Speak for yourself. <laughs> but so Don, you, you that must have. Of, uh, of 
been, you know, encouraging to see that that again they had people that uh, that that had. Other well, it was of view. the one. The drawback with the school was that the kids went came from all over the city, and so at when school was over, they all scattered back to their own neighborhoods. I was singularly lucky in that I was chosen, drawn into, invited into a small group of adolescents who were both very precocious and uh, who hanged, hung together mm. after uh, class. And the most dominant of those people, and as to this day I revere her memory, was a girl named Joy. Uh, notwithstanding my own uh, predilections, we were insanely madly in love. Oh. And we really, really were uh -huh. in a very Romeo and Juliet sort of way. And she was, you know, had her finger on all of the live things that were going on in the city. The Museum of Modern Art was uh, opening. The Ballet Theater was opening. There were wonderful plays and incredible movies from Europe coming into the city. All that good stuff. Uh, I was introduced to it was as different from Victorian Brooklyn my childhood as you could imagine and uh, I loved it all and you know to this day I revere the memory of joy she would become you know with a big interval in the middle of our lives we became we were lifelong friends nice so yeah nice. so so uh, you went to that school, uh, and then what happened after after uh, high school? Well, there was another change <coughs> and that you know was a pure, total, different thing. Uh, my brother, my oldest brother, was a great hero during the Second World War. <coughs> uh, he had been at Iwo Jima, got lots of important medals and so on. Okay, and. Uh, Partly in, inspired by him, and partly by the fact that, you know, uh, it would be handy to get something from the GI Bill of Rights. The minute I turned 17, I joined the Marine Corps. Oh. And so for the next two years, it was another, like, step into another entirely different world. Uh, the world of... Uh, uh, well, I loved it, you know, in you did. many you, you ways. Liked, you, 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 didn't, you didn't bristle against all the authority and regimentation? Of oh, you didn't have time to bristle. Uh -huh. I mean, the, the DIs at Paris Island were all shell-shocked. I yeah. mean, you know, you didn't cross with them. Uh, you were marched in the hot sun for as long until two or three of the people in the battery fainted and fell by the side of the half but i loved part of it because uh i fell in love with the south the uh, paris island and later uh, uh camp lejeune mm -hmm. were gorgeous places in terms of woodlands and forests and i fell in love with the landscape the natural landscape of the and did you uh, already the, have a um you had Knew you were going to be a conservationist. You were already very no, concerned. No, no. I loved animal. We had we had a summer place when when I was a child up in the Catskills, and I loved seeing wildlife there. Though you didn't see much of it because it was overhunted. But uh, no, I've just always loved 
But was that the beginning when you were in um, Georgia, when you first saw the wetlands and you saw... It made me know that I wanted to come to the South. I didn't come here for, uh, you know, any... For the culture? Yeah, the gone with the wind kind of thing. Although I would, very shortly, when I left the Marine Corps, I would get a big dose of that gone with the wind world. But that wasn't why I came. I loved the natural landscape. It was, to me, beautiful. Okay, so so after the Marines, uh, on the GI Bill, you, you then went to college? You I start- went to the University of Georgia. Okay. Which was, again, you know, it was another, it was like stepping into yet another world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, and the gone with the wind was not gone with the wind there. I joined a fraternity, a very nice fraternity, in a big old southern mansion. And... Uh, you know, on weekends we would dress in black tie, and the pretty girls from the sorority houses would join us. You know, coming up, I still can see them in their big, big bouffant hooped dresses, true for true, and uh, coming up the walkway to the house, and we'd have a black band playing there. And uh, right. after, did, did any of those people know you were gay? No, no, Other no. This was—I mean, I knew I was gay, and it, I was—I think sing, I think Joy uh, and that group at the high school of music and art accustomed to me, the accustomed me to the idea that you know, in this world, in their world of being always a little ahead of their times. Being gay was no big deal, mm. and uh, in fact, there was a certain uh, cachet cachet <laughs> to it. You know, I mean, Joy introduced me to uh, oh my God, what was his name? He was a great premier dancer with uh, uh, Anton Dolan. I think that was it. Uh, you know, at Fire Island. Okay. So you know, it was as I say. One of several total changes in lifestyle and point of view and all that sort of stuff. Don and I had a big debate about whether changes are, what was it you said, luck or our own conviction and action? Yes, and I tell you that you have to figure out in your own life, because there are always some of both, some of it is always luck, but a lot of the time, at least for some of us, who are privileged, there are also times when your conscious choice changes the direction of your life. Most people, however, don't have even the opportunity to make that conscious choice. I, and to you to, you, to some extent, have been able to make oh, that yes, sort of yes. choice. But what, still, a lot of it is luck. <laughs> what, do you, what do you attribute uh, your ability to make those choices to? Well, for God's sake, if you tr- if I had been, if I had probably grown up in that Victorian house on Irving Avenue in Brooklyn, uh, if it was a conventional with my father and mother, who had very conventional, quasi-Victorian attitudes from a personal morality sort of thing, mm-hmm. I would have had to. Have, I would have been dealing with a totally different. 
environment, and I don't think I would have had a, a choice. You don't I, even have know what the set of choices is to choose from if if, if you're... Uh, well, I might have had some choice, but a lot of my life would have been governed by the facts of, you know... One thing follows uh, another, right? Yeah, and, all, and for very poor people, I mean, they don't even have that. I mean, they just have to... It's one yeah. foot in front of the other. Yeah, I mean, if you're making enough money just to barely keep yourself alive, you can't just say, oh, well, I think I'll change my lifestyle to something else. <laughs> sure, yes, you can't strike out and then go, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, live somewhere real, else. Right. Yeah, 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 that's, that's, that's a very good and point. And so how long were you in Georgia? Oh... All right. Well, that, that would it would take you an hour and an hour to two. In my last year uh, there, I fell in love with a brilliant artist uh, and a gifted artist. And because he was so gifted and so wonderful, you know, creative and all that, well, I was I got in deeper than I should have and. Then I realized I wasn't in love with him. But in the meantime, I had visited his family's, his grandmother's plantation in southern Georgia. It was like 3,000 acres. You know, I was a city boy, mm -hmm. 3,000 acres. And he said, you know, if you want us to live here, the place is yours. And impulsively, I agreed. Yeah, and uh, I loved him, you know, but I was right. not in love with him, and I didn't. But nevertheless, we were quite happy for a half a year, or almost a year, living there. But uh, and then, and we went to Europe. Oh my God, that was terrific for the summer. We went to Europe, and, and this, this was, was in 1950. Okay, and Europe was still. You know, the Second World War, where the evidence of it was everywhere. Right, they were still rebuilding. Oh, the well, Marshall yeah, it was rebuilding, but, right. you know, financially and all that. We had, out. and the important thing is, we had the place to ourselves. There was virtually no tourism. I mean, we would go uh, to Florence, to the uh, Palazzo Viejo, my name's right. graphic, uh, and have it to ourselves. You know, nowadays when you go to the galleries, you know, you have to make reservations. It's overrun, Three days yes. overboard and you wait. We would be walking through these incredible, gorgeous, unbelievable galleries and palaces and fortresses and have them, you know, just be us and one or two or three other people. Right. It was a lovely, lovely uh, time to wow. be in, in Europe for us. For us. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we went back and lived on the plantation for a couple of years, not even a couple of years, a year or so. And then his grandmother caught on to the fact that uh, she decided, Donald, you're not going, I mean, she was a piece of work. I mean, Faulkner would have loved her. Absolutely yeah. adored her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, but she said, you know, you're not going to get the plantation. I'm going to make my will so that you... Because she, she wanted it to stay in the family, understandably. Sure. And, uh, and that broke my heart. And it also finished things basically with me and poor Mac, who was a really nice, decent guy. But we went to New York together. Oh, okay. Lived there together for a while. 
and uh, I had to get work, and so I became. <clears throat> I worked in the media department of Ruth Ralph and Ryan in Rockefeller Center on the 55th floor. I think it was the 55th. <laughs> and, you know, in so many ways, it was an enviable job. Uh, but I hated it. And they were going to make me the... I mean, very quickly. Uh, I was only like 21, 22 at the time. I'd moved pretty fast. Even, uh, but... Uh, they were going to make me head of the uh, media research department, which would have been a big raise and all that sort of stuff. And then by chance, one of the friends who I was... I went to a gay bar uh, in the village, which uh, I think it was on 8th Street, yeah. And uh, it wasn't the one that was be so famously r raided, you know, several years later. Oh. It would start the emancipation of Stonewall. It wasn't the Stonewall, Stonewall yes. yes. It wasn't Stonewall. It was kind of like that kind of bar. And uh, there were a group of emigres from New Orleans there. And they were the most fun of all the people <laughs> in the group. I mean, their little group. And I joined them and sort of was taken in by them and all that. And they... A vacation. I was coming up to my first vacation with Ruth Ralph and Ryan, and one of them, who had become, well, he was very interested in me, mm -hmm. and he said, "Well, you know, you have a vacation coming up. Would you like to go to New Orleans? Uh, because I spent some time there with these other guys who were from New Orleans, and we had a wonderful time, and you might enjoy it." So I said, "Sure." Well, when I got there, it was a case of, I still remember, you know, hitting the corner of Royal Street and Esplanade, looking down Royal Street at this cavalcade of balconies with no high-rises high blocking the view at the other end. And uh, I said, my God. I'm going to live here. And looking yeah, down, you knew it, you down, knew it immediately. I said, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Wow. I said, and so, you know, this was a clear question of chance having gotten me there, choice, because, you know, if from a purely practical point of view, I had a lot to look forward to in New York. Sure. And I was, as it was, I was coming down there almost penniless. Uh -huh. Anyway, so that was another new total change in my life, all happening before I was like 21, 22, 22. Right, right. You said you moved fast. You, you commented. Yeah. Your, well, I, I was, you know, I, I lived in the quarter, of course. Wonderful apartments. Uh, I was going to say, so so you get to, to the quarter in your early 20s and the early 50s. Yes. Tell us about the 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 the, the scene. In, in the, okay, I'll the tell quarter. you some stuff that people who have been born later will kind of cringe with envy. Yes. When I was there first... You on the balconies on Royal Street, which they're always giving parties with, and friends that were all mine would be having these parties, and I'd be out. I could look down Royal Street to Canal, and the parades would be coming up Royal Street. Uh -huh. It was like a medieval spectacle, and hundreds of flambeaux. You know, I mean, it was unbelievable. And they'd make that turn at, what is it, Orleans Avenue that goes to the, from the, uh, just, 
you know, it goes into Congo Square, into uh, yeah. uh, the, and uh, the there was a nunnery, but it, where is now a big uh, hotel. Okay. But there was a nunnery, and the nuns would stand behind shutters on the second balcony, and the prayed the people on the prayed floats would cascade the shutter in hundreds and hundreds. Of the you know, for most of us, the people outside, the you know, just ordinary populace, they would uh, be very stingy. Uh -huh. They were glass bees. They were quite pretty. But right. the, you, boy, if you came away with one or two bees from a parade, you were damn lucky. Right. And, uh, yeah, those, uh, in a lot of ways. Now, I mustn't always, you know, I mustn't speak just of the wonderfulness and the naturalness of it and the fact that apartments were breathtakingly sh cheap, huge apartments with 12 or 14 foot ceilings. Now, is the quarter uh, kind of a, on a, an upswing at this time? No, was... no, that would come while I was there. Clay Shaw, who is, should be honored by the city, I mean, if your view of the city is that it had to move forward, that the quarter had to become a very successful place, which it, it was a little more than a slum when I was there. Okay. Uh, and, and the negatives, you know, were things like roaches, big roaches, which you could not <laughs> escape, and worse, much worse. And people do not have to experience this now. In the summer, the wind from the marshes would bring in clouds of mosquitoes, and there was no real escaping them, even in your apartments, even with screens. I remember in my apartment, There'd be little, little splotches of blood on the road, on the wall, where I'd slap the <laughs> mosquito after he'd gotten me. But uh, yeah, so and there so was. What a, did Clay Shaw do? What now? He oh yeah, Clay Shaw was too. the first one to he realize was a a, what now? A businessman was. Yes, he? yes, he was a very successful businessman, and he was also a model to me in another way. The whole city knew that he was gay. And yet, because he was powerful, and he had, he was already, you know, in a very important business position, and uh, and also was, you know, really, at first on his own, renovating the French Quarter. Uh, he he got away with it. He was invited to all the best tables and so on. At mm -hmm. least until he was persecuted by this madman. We had. For an attorney, I guess attorney general is. Uh, he's the district attorney. District attorney. Yes. Uh, yes. When he was persecuted by him shamelessly, yes. and disgusting. Yeah. So, so, and you're talking about Jim Garrison, of course. Yes. Right? Yes. So, I was, I was gonna, just to, to circle around here. So, so you, you knew Clay Shaw socially, and. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, we were not close, close friends. I mean, I, I, so, so I don't know why, but we 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 got along. I came to di went to dinner at his house several times. Right. I mean, the 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 gay quarter scene at that time was was not huge. I mean, it was everyone sort of knew each other to a certain extent. I would guess, huh? Uh, oh yeah, in the gay world, yeah, right, everyone right, right. knew each other. Yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty big though. I mean, New Orleans was a pretty swinging town for gay people. Sure. It was a oh, joke that Dixie's Bar of Music, which was. Probably the greatest, most famous gay bar in the world. They would say that, you know, if you sat there every day, every night, 
long enough, every gay person in the world would eventually come through the swinger doors. <laughs> and it was sort of true. By God, how many fraternity brothers I, who I had no idea were gay when I was in college that I saw coming through that door, you know, Okay. Whatever it was. All right. So, so at that time, were were uh, you know some of these literary figures like uh, Tennessee Williams, yeah, or, yeah, or Tennessee Truman Williams. Capote, or they were they? Uh, yeah, yeah, they rounds? came in. Oh, Tennessee Williams. You know, everybody who in New Orleans who met him always says, "Oh, Tennessee Williams was a best friend of mine." He was not a best friend of mine, but I spent considerable time with him. I mean, we we liked each other, but he was he was kind of unreachable. He was yeah. not a person, it's hard to explain. Well, for one thing, you always got uh, uh, the impression, if you were alert and so on, that he was taking notes. Uh-huh. And I could, I, it would be too long to get into here, but he uh, threw uh, <laughs> friends of mine who had family in the garden district. Uh, I and he and the friends of mine were very a close, a, cl a closer friend of Tennessee Williams than I was. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to a afternoon social thing at one of the great houses in the Garden District, uh, where Tennessee he had wanted to, he was fascinated. He wanted to know more about the Garden District, and. Uh, he came, uh, anyway, very shortly, I watched him while he was picking the brain, literally, of the hostess, uh -huh. who was talking about her bad heart, and believe it or not, she had an elevator, a little tiny elevator in the mansion that brought her up and down to the second story. I mean, she was a real piece of work. Right. And of course, this was all the beginning of this play, The Garden District and the Suddenly Last Summer movie. Ah. But, you know, and he and she's in there. I, I love mean, that uh, movie. Isn't that so great? Yeah, well, it's... It's based yeah, on but uh, he, these people you know. Wow. I was watching it with fascination that whole time, you know. And, Right, he was shamelessly, she didn't know he was it. Was eating he, her soul. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but you're a writer, Don. And um, have you been picking my brain shamelessly? I, I, I do. Something. No, I'm done with writing. Writing, you know, it's, it's there's a part of me that regrets it. But you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, I've written s several books and all that, and a couple of them did pretty well. But I'm, you, in order to be a writer, a real writer. You give your life to it the way a monk gives his life to Jesus. You have to be there and ready to work. That's never been my main ambition in life. But, you know, I can't complain. I've been lucky, but no. And what you've written is is been very well-received, and I love your stuff. I love everything. Right, well, thank and you. very yeah. recently, though very recently, I've met people that are fans of a handmade wilderness. Yeah, it's never been my main ambition in life, though. I mean, I like it. I mean, I love it. You know, attention. Was it your I'm, conservationism? Do you consider? I've that always true? been conservationist. So I, long before I realized there was, I've loved wild animals. As a kid, I identified with Bambi, that whole bit. And <laughs> there was a great, what was his name? 
He wrote the wild animals I have not seen. Seton, somebody, S-E-T-O-N. Uh, he wrote a book called Wild Animals I've Known. It was an honest picture. You know, and one of the, to me it was my introduction to tragedy, one of the real stories that he'd based, you know, on his actual experiences out west. He was describing this uh, wolf and his, the wolf's mate, Blanca, and how Wolf, the wolf, what was his name, I forget, couldn't be captured until the hunter captured Blanca and trapped her and put her in a trap. And then the wolf was caught. You know, and that moved me as much as anything in Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So the wolf was, was um, Blanca's mate? Or yes, friend? yes, oh, yes. Okay, he, she was his mate. And she, oh, yeah, he was lured sad. into so being caught trying to but get her. But you once told me you were the first original uh, civ civilian conservationist. Because didn't in you... New, in New Orleans, in New yes. Orleans. But you did quite a bit with the Everglades. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we were very... Oh, well, I went for years. Not, yeah, for years uh, complaining about the Corps of Engineers. The Corps of Engineers in those days, it had sole purpose in the South, which was to gut every goddamn stream, river, brook, and turn it into a ditch to drain it, to drain all the swamps, which I loved. Yes. And I would go to the hearings and protest and so on and so forth. Once or twice, I made it. You know, I made them change their way. But it was with the Atchafalaya, uh, the great, great, great freshwater swamp that we have here in New Orleans, I mean in Louisiana, that uh, not just me, but a whole army of people fought for and to some extent succeeded in saving it. And what year was that? Oh, God. And when people talk, ask me years. Yeah, yeah, that's Nicole's thing. I'm not going to ask you any years. I know. I'm just trying to get, uh, you know, uh, like uh, a, a, a narrative chronology. Yes, yes I understand. Chronology. It was at least 20, 20, 30 years ago. Well, I mean, it was at least 30, 35 years ago. Well, well, I was going to pivot, Don, and say, so So you're you're living in New Orleans. You, you have your undergraduate degree already from Georgia. Um, and is while you're in New Orleans, you pursue a, a yeah, higher yeah, education, I, master's, and yeah, your, yeah. your doctorate? I went, uh, yes, I decided, and I guess it was 1956 or 57, to go to LSU in Baton Rouge. I still... I would come to New Orleans every weekend, but uh, I lived up there for three years, and those three years I got my master's and everything done. I moved pretty quickly, if I say so myself. Uh -huh. uh, I got everything done ex except and the doctorate except for the dissertation. Okay. And I got a job thanks to a wonderful, wonderful professor who was the closest thing to a father figure I've ever had, Dr. Nate Caffey. Uh, he got me the jo a job in uh, at LSU at the brand new UNO, LSUNO in As those days, known, right? which was just right. I mean, they, were, they had won two buildings up when I came, yeah. and we were having our, some of our offices uh, in uh, Quonset Huts. Yeah. It was 
wonderful. It was wonderful to start off with a brand new, and of course, UNO gave middle, uh, New Orleans a middle class. That's the absolute truth of it. Okay. It was, uh, yeah, and it was a wonderful experience. How so? Because they trained all these teachers or people that could could be in government well, jobs uh, or how? How did you this, that? this city was unbelievably class divided. I mean, there were, there were blacks, total segregation, uh, and there was the underclass, uh, I, I would say mostly Italian, and some Cajun population, which was very Irish? poorly were educated. Irish? Were there a lot of Irish as well? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about the Irish, yes. And a lot of Irish, sure, yeah. Sure, sure. And they were not well educated. There right. was, uh, and right. uh, then of course there was the uptown elite and the Tulane set and so on. Right, right. But, so, uh, so, so you LSU and O opened up uh, higher absolutely, education. Absolutely, absolutely. Mike, I loved. I mean, some of those first students were such a hoot. They were, you know, they're very excited, you know, and. Very enthusiastic, and uh, at the same time, but they had that yet, you know, yeah. <laughs> sort of. New Orleans, thing. very nice. I love them. I mean, it was really great fun. I think my parents were probably students of yours at that time. Uh, <laughs> Could looking be. back, yeah, 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 because um, because yeah, they 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 came right out of Gentilly and went to uh, LSU and O. Uh, very possibly. Yep. When did you first um, get the land, your property in Mississippi? I could tell you exactly as soon as I think Again, exactly. Sorry. 19, 1969. In 69. Yes. So, so Nicole is referring to uh, one of your books, maybe your most famous book, uh, A Handmade Wilderness. Yeah, yeah. Which is about uh, you acquiring, uh, uh, you and your partner acquiring some land in, yep, in Mississippi, yeah, yeah. Uh, north of, of the Gulf Coast, yes. and developing that. Willie, my partner, oh, he used the phrase once, the least worst land. We were looking for how much land we could buy, the amount of acreage, never mind the shape it was in. And so we deliberately bought cutover land, I mean, you know, that had been t t timbered, lumbered fairly recently, uh -huh. did not have too many mature trees on it, but had everything in the way of ecosystem stuff on it. And he called it the least worst land, the land that among worst lands was the least worst. The least worst, huh? And I loved that for the title, but they wouldn't let me have it. When they reviewed uh, A Handmade Wilderness in the New York Times, they used that as the title of the, the review. They did? They did. Yes. I don't recall. Yes. Well, I, I just. Uh, I'll be damned. <laughs> that's, that's what they use. Tell us about Willie. Well, I'd met Willie a couple of years before that, at the time that New Orleans was in the throes, the real throes of uh, the racial, you know, very bitter, angry uh, racial conflict between blacks and whites and liberals and conservatives and all that sort of stuff. And I met Willie and was uh, in a bar in the quarter, which was, uh, it was the only place really that I know of in, at that time where blacks and whites could intermingle. 
and uh, you could dance and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it was called the Red Carpet. And uh, I had fun there, and I met Willie, and we hit it off and all that. And uh, So even the gay bars were segregated at that time? Oh, yeah. Oh. oh yeah. And... Uh, and uh, but we and we really hit it off, and I liked him. He was, you know, very very much, and he liked me. But we could not live together. It would have been literally dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I had liberal friends. One whose uh, house, his car was blown up in front of his own house, and he had two little kids mm. uh, because he was an active pro integration person. Right. So it was no joke. I mean, you couldn't really live together. Mm -hmm. So he had, for a year or two, he had to pose as uh, uh, somebody who worked for me. Yeah. Like and a houseboy? Is that yeah, what, houseboy. What, what did so they call What did Houseboy. So, yeah. But, uh, but then, you know, things started to settle down a little bit more, and the neighbors got to know him, and they loved him. Everybody who met Willie loved him. Yeah. He was just a... And really? did you buy this house together? Or, no, or no. You were I bought it here? a year or two before, before that. Before you met him? Yeah. So we were together for almost 30 years. Oh, oh no, not, not quite 30 25. years. 25? Yeah. After that, of course, uh, leaving Willie, I could never have leave, left New Orleans. Anyway, but I've never wanted to. I've never wanted to go back anywhere else. Yeah. This is the only city that I think I could ever be happy in. Nice. In spite of the fact that I am neither a gourmet nor an <laughs> authority on music. He, he, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's very indifferent to... Those are one thing. There's a few boxes that I'm like, well, he doesn't tick this. He doesn't tick that. What? But you still love New Orleans. She's saying you don't <laughs> check the boxes of... of you like don't everybody. check every one of my boxes as far as like you and I yeah. talked about how as friends... We um, we share many 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 things, but um, a, a couple of them you often often ask me about reading. You're like, do you read? And um, and music and food. Yeah. Uh, Don, I I have seen Don eat spinach out of a can. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, it's like, fine. I'm sure. Totally <laughs> indifferent. Right, right, right. A total failure as a citizen in good standing, <laughs> but I am definitely a citizen who yes. loves the city. Yes. Sure. The city is in good standing with me. I can't imagine you nice. anywhere else no, either. I, I literally can't. I know. I mean, there's nothing. Like New Orleans in this country, and and there's in and for you, it, I, I, it's, I think of you as New Orleanian, yeah. uh, sort of. There's always the New York. Oh, but yeah, you seem very New Orleans to me. Yeah. Well, that's a high compliment. You know, <laughs> a lot of people actually ask me, "Are you from the North?" That hasn't happened in a long time, but it used to happen quite a bit. When people would would be able to detect that you were from the accent. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, I st I don't. I still think you have a New York accent. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. But but you know, you seem very New Orleans at the same well, time. Well, thank you. I want to be very New Orleans, <laughs> even if it isn't in a conventional way. You went to march in Selma, right? You yes, marched in yes, Selma. Yes, yes, yes. And that was, were you with your Willie then? Or? No, no. No, no. No, we met about uh, nine or ten months after that. Right, yeah. right. And who did you go to Selma with? And that Were you in New Orleans? You went from New Orleans to Selma? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, one of them is a person you know, Eddie Young. Ah. Uh, <laughs> he was always... We were, we, he you. was an undergraduate when I was a graduate student. I didn't at, know that was Eddie uh, that went with you. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, we both had a taste for craziness, I guess. And so I, we would go looking for hurricanes together. In those days, you never knew where the hell exactly they were and uh, stuff like that. Right. And, and uh, so Selma seemed like a, a hurricane that you were going to drive into? Well, we all knew it was important. I mean, you know, and we all, certainly me very strongly, were in favor of civil rights and stuff. And so, but we headed out in the middle of the night before the actual arrival of the Selma march into Montgomery, the capital. And uh, You drove from New Orleans there? All night, yeah. And... I'll never forget. I had a cold. Well, maybe a flu. Anyway, I felt crappy. And I remember us getting there. We were, the people, the protesters were collecting on a kind of plateau above the main part of the city. And uh, I'll never forget it. I was really sick and really felt terrible. But the when the parade, the march, got underway, I became well. It was really, nothing quite like that has ever happened to me before. And it was just a tremendously moving. Were people singing or Yes, dancing? yes. Everybody was singing We Shall Overcome. And there was another song that they sang, which I liked even better, but I can't remember what it was. What was the crowd like? What were the demographic? Huge. Oh, like well, it who was, was all there? over. It was all over. Were you afraid at all? Oddly enough, Eddie, who was pretty tough number, he was afraid because a couple of cops were eyeing us. They were pointing to us, particularly <laughs> to Eddie and Arlen and me. I don't know why we weren't doing anything. Right. But uh, they just were talking, and that made him nervous. Yeah. So he insisted that we leave. We never did hear uh, uh, Martin Luther King Martin speech. Luther King speech. Yeah. But we got back, and on the way back, we stopped at a friend of mine's house who had a television set, which not all of us, by any means, had in those days. And uh, on the air was Mrs. What? I can't remember her name. Had been murdered. Right. The, was she a New Englander who had come? Yeah, down? she was. No, she was. I think she was from Chicago. Okay. But she was up north. I mean, anyway, it, it was quite been, a day. And it's amazing to think of what has changed since. Oh yeah. Then yes, it is amazing. Well, uh, Nation, we always like to take a little break in the middle of the yeah. uh, the podcast, so we're, we're going to do that, and our, uh, the the other uh, feral zone denizens know what to do. You can go uh, fix yourself another cocktail, and we'll be right back. The real question is, did she pardon Alabama? The real question is...
And we're back. Back with my guest co-host, Ms. Nicole Pavi. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Don Schuler. Dr. Dr. Don Schuler. Dr. Don. <laughs> PhD. Uh, the only time I ever use the title doctor is when I'm calling a real doctor uh-huh. and I want to get him on, <laughs> you know, to answer me quickly. Right here, and I say, this is Dr. Shulo talking, but please let Dr. Blah Blah know. Oh, there you go with that with that resonant voice too. I bet you get their attention. Yeah, it works. Uh, <laughs> you got to use what you can, don't you, Don? <laughs> Well, well, so Don, we talked a little bit about your your uh, conservationism and and your love of animals. Nicole was telling me that you uh, you were on safari in Africa at, at least one time. Oh, more than one time. I've been, uh, I guess, eight times. Really, seven, eight times. Going back to the 1960s, or uh, no? Okay. Uh, the, I've started going in the in 2000 and no, in uh, 19. 90, I oh. think it was 1990, shortly after, well, not too shortly, a couple of years after Willie died, a very wealthy friend of mine who was well known in, in uh, uh, New Orleans, uh, 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 Betty Wisdom. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, she was really a very dear friend. She was extremely wealthy. And she was, I think, a little tired of me being depressed. Okay. And so she paid my trip. Wonderful, wonderful, indescribably wonderful uh, troop, you know, with traditional tented safaris. I mean, the whole works. It was really, it ruined me. I mean, because I had to go back once I'd been there. You were spoiled. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been back, as I say, seven or eight times. And uh, I never have just gone with, you know, one of these two-week... Uh, Libyan, you know, Libyan safari. Yeah, one of these where, you know, you, you crowd into a little jeep and... They take you. With the, uh, I did that one. Down. Yeah, <laughs> well, I did that well, one. Well, it certainly, it's it well worth. Good. It's well worth doing even that. It was. But, it was. Well, what were yours like? Uh, well, you know, I mean, to me, it, paradise, if I believe in it, would be me sitting in all the great locations in the world where wild animals are can be viewed. I mean, to me, looking at wild animals. I love wildlife. I love wildlife. I've often used the quip, you know, if I loved my own species as much as I love wild animals, uh, I would be the greatest humanitarian since... uh, Albert Schweitzer. (laughs) Yeah, somebody. Anyway. uh, But what was your most memorable moment of... of, of Was it seeing the... Like it's almost them? impossible yes, to say yes. what was the most wonderful. I was, I can proudly boast that I was almost killed by a lion. My entire fault. Uh, it was an old lion. He'd been, he didn't have a pride anymore. He was hiding. I mean, normally, while lions will eat their prey right out in front of God and everybody. But he dragged an impala under this dense little cluster of bushes. We couldn't see who was there. We knew that, you know, there was vultures circling all over, overhead. 
We knew there was something under there. We could see the hooves of the Impala. But in a smart-ass shoeer, I got out of the uh, Jeep and crept down, and you had to get right on your belly to look under the density of the bushes. And, that's and I still couldn't see who it was. Seemed and like so, a wise idea at the time. Well, I was, just wasn't thinking. I just had to know what it was. And I crept a little bit closer, and suddenly there was this roar. I'll never forget that roar. I mean, bellow. It blew me. Well, I think I must have levitated back into the Jeep <laughs> backwards, flying. Yeah. I got back in that Jeep so fast. it was, And it scared, you know. Well, you didn't know these women, but they were wonderful. They were with me. Everybody was scared. The driver was scared. He should never have let, let me get that? out. And where was that? What country were you in? Oh, that was uh, Luanga in Zambia. Uh and uh, and we just started to drive off, and sure enough, this big old guy—he, I mean, he was enraged, and he came out, and you know, we all agreed, you know, that was a really, really, really close call. It really was. It could have been. On the other hand, it wouldn't have been a bad way to go, in a sense. I know my nephews would be much prouder of me than they are. A heroic ending, uh, yeah, sort of. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, that was my Uncle Donald, you know, the one that was killed by a lion. Eaten by a lion. <laughs> <laughs> that, does, that does have a good certain ring to it, Don. Damn right. No. <laughs> well, well um, let's uh, jump back to New Orleans, and, and you were talking about the, the, the gay quarter scene. So... You must have been around for the the Uptown Lounge fire. Tragedy. You mean that it wasn't Uptown, was it? It wasn't well, Downtown. Well, no, no, it, was, it wasn't. It called the uh, the Upstairs Lounge. Upstairs Lounge. Yes. Y you know that uh, I never went to that bar. Okay. I I didn't even. It's strange to say, but it was apparently another whole circle of gays who went there. <laughs> I never knew anyone who was in the fire. Hmm. I know anything. The first I ever heard of the place was when it burned out. I remembered being unutterably disgusted by the newspaper coverage of it, because they it was they couldn't suppress it. I mean, something like twenty twenty five people died in it horribly, right. Right. but they came as close as they could to suppressing it, hmm. and. Uh, I just thought it was disgusting that they they made so little of such a tragedy. Right. But aside from confirming my views about, you know, the attitude towards gays and so on at that time. It was a different circle, you're saying. So, yeah, uh, okay. I, it was yeah. interesting. I mean, there, there were a lot of gays in the, in the city. I mean, it was a pretty gay city sure sure Certainly sure downtown right right well uh and and just to to jump over to you and oh i was gonna ask you uh were you uh friends or, or knew uh uh dr reinecke oh god yes okay because we were colleagues that's what I figured. So yeah. Nicole and I grew up with one of his sons, George. Uh, oh, really? Very close to yeah. George. I played in bands with George. So tell us about. I know and uh, all of the kids, all the Reinekes. You knew all the Reinekes, but um, well, yeah. So do I. I don't know that. Fred and we've uh, never we've yeah. never talked about it's them. It's very hard for us to cover everything. <laughs> it's New Orleans is one of those cities. Yeah, I always yeah, have yeah. to tell people we know each other four or five ways. Yeah. If you and I talked long enough, you would, uh, you know, we 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 would find the other five ways. 
ways that oh, we know yeah, each yeah, other yeah, besides yeah. Nicole. Yeah, yeah. But so, so Professor Reinecke was a uh, he was a, a great you know New Orleans historian. I mean, he loved you know the uh, colloquial history and stuff. So right. you you he was a co- colleague of yours. Oh yeah, I mean yes, and uh, I mean and we both taught Middle English. We right. both taught Chaucer. Okay. And so on and. Uh, I mean, we got along very well. We uh, we were never really close. I was very fond of his wife. I thought she was sharp and smart. George was a. I liked him a lot. He was considerably older than I was. Okay. He was kind of portly, very dignified, and so on and so forth. Sort of professor and. uh, Okay. You know, we got along fine. Well, now you mentioned uh, Middle English. How, how did you come up to to be teaching? I love Middle English. It, to me, it's a great tragedy. Languages have to change; they keep changing, but it is still a tragedy that we are not speaking Middle English, which is so infinitely more musical and just rich uh, than modern flat. English is. Can you give us a short example? Oh, for of... God's sake. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> April with the shortest total. The draft of March hath something to the rota and bothered every vein and switch liqueur. The vertu and genre is the fleur. And uh, blah, blah, blah. And all the smaller foelis mock and melodia. And folkin long to go on pilgrimages. Wow, wow. How much more fun to say pilgrimages <laughs> than pilgrims? <laughs> pilgrimages. And so on. Anyway. I dig it. Thank you. Wow, that was that was a real treat. I think that's the first time that's ever happened to me. Any, any, I ever got anybody to speak Middle English <laughs> with me. It's always a first time for everything, right, Don? Uh, yeah, well, there have been quite a few things that I've been through more than once, but yes. <laughs> well, sure, but there was a first time even for those, right? Yeah, yep, 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 yeah, yep. Yeah, 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 uh, by, by its nature. And, uh, well, Nicole, uh, you know, d- moving to, to some other, uh, you know, New Orleans intellectuals, she mentioned uh, Stephen Ambrose, the great Stephen Ambrose, was a yeah, friend of yours. Yeah, we were, uh, I really liked Steve, and, uh, and he was, you know, he was much more... He, he took writing very seriously and being published and all that. And, you know, he was largely responsible for the Veterans Museum sure. here. Sure. And for, for those in the nation that don't know, uh, you know, famously wrote Band of Brothers, but also many, yeah, yeah. many uh, other, uh, you know, history, historical. Yeah. No, uh, he's a real leading figure in that way. I was never that serious about writing, but he would give me advice. You know, I mean, he would. S- Tell me, you know, you should peddle that with so and so, or you should do this with. Uh, He's very and, careerist in that way. Yeah, he, he uh, and uh, I. Oh yes, and I mean, this was so tragic for him mostly, but also from the vantage point of a conservation. I kind of converted him into. Uh, going uh, into being an environmentalist. And he was going to write a s- story about the, uh, uh, not the Atchafalaya, the, uh, the Pascagoula River. Okay. Great 
river, the last free-flowing river in uh, Mississippi. Mm. And, uh, you know, beautiful view. And we went out there, you know, in to the swamp in little boats. And he, and he was going to write about it. And then, unlike me, he his smoking got him mm. and uh, he died it was, but yeah but he was he was really a, much more serious about being a published author yeah lovely, yeah you know. but uh, the Pascagoula you mentioned that that's that was one of your your earlier books right yeah, you yeah, wrote, yeah, yeah. Uh, wrote the book preserving uh, the Pascagoula yeah what about it <laughs> oh, oh no! I'm just mentioning. I mean, you brought it up, so just uh, oh. uh, the uh, you have this this uh, running theme of of uh, conservationism in 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 all of your your titles. Yeah, to me, it's it's the most important thing there is. Conservation, conservation of the planet, and particularly of its what's surviving of its natural areas. Uh, unless more is done in that way there's just going to be a slow <laughs> well the planet is not what it was when to be conformist about it when god created it right. by any means it's just it's already becoming wrecked so now you bring up god is that something that that comes into your no cons okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong, though. I mean, every night I pray to the God of nature. Sure, well, yeah, sure. But it is the God of nature. It's There's only one, yeah, yeah, God of nature, sure. That's yeah, Him I believe in. Yeah. Or her. Sure. Yeah, yeah God doesn't have a penis. <laughs> How do we know? Well, I mean, I'm just assuming. <laughs> the God of nature, you know. Never mind. Let's... Well, no, I like it. <laughs> Where are you going to go with that? <laughs> I mean, the God of nature is, in my mind, God. That's uh, that is that is the God. You know, I mean, Not to I, me. oh, okay. No. You know, I mean, it seems like you know, there's there's so many aspects of of the divine. You know, it's expressed in so many different ways. Yet it's really kind of all the same thing, don't you think? No. No. Okay. No, I mean, I think I mean, well, we don't want to get into all this, but okay, the God of formal religions and so on as a god of man well yes period I, period I, I agree Zip. i agree i mean you'll never find in all the first the older new testaments you won't find a damn word about preserving nature or anything like that and so on okay not really well yes uh, yes the the man has his ideas and then they reproduce they're... and multiply that's the law of it all that, of course, is also a law of nature, but let that go. Right. Okay, sure, 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 sure. Moving on. When did you buy this house, this beautiful house? Uh, I can 64? tell you, yeah, 1960. The, the year I was born? 1965. 1965. And you would have seen the neighborhood change tremendously. And you've told me the Garden District is, there were even more houses here than we even know like people understand the beauty of this area of new orleans but maybe you've even seen things disappear actually remember you were no they were, no no they, i mean there are s s beautiful beautiful houses that disappeared uh, uh raised uh bungalows and uh 
what were the ones I called the two-storied ones? God, I, my memory is Camelback shot. or something? No, no, not oh, okay. the Camelbacks. Although they're all Camelbacks, of course. The, uh, Didn't you tell me something? There used to be a graveyard. There was one, one time when we were going and I was taking you to do your taxes and you told me that there was... Oh, yeah. That was the, what was the name? It was a Protestant cemetery. Right. Right where, more or less right where the Superdome is now, or what is the smaller auditorium? The um, Smoothie. Smoothie King. Is that the Giraud Street Cemetery? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Giraud Street Street Cemetery, yes. That sounds right. Yes, I remember going there with friends at midnight, and uh, we scared the hell out of ourselves. All the graves, a lot of them had been desecrated. Mm -hmm. There were coffins, metal coffins, Lying in the grass with their little metal porthole where you could see the face. They'd have the glass, and and I, I, that's what Lyle Bonger told me. He he took a photograph that would got wound up getting a, a reprint or printed in like uh, um, uh, Vanity Fair or one of those magazines, and and he and uh, he said people would bust out the glass yes. to steal the 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 gold Skull. dental work. Oh well, maybe it was uh, the gold dental work. But, and okay. and, uh, and so he took a, a photograph and it wound up on the cover of, of National Magazine, and then he said that. Uh, a couple of weeks later, they went and fenced it all off so you couldn't get to it anymore. Yeah, well, that I was there when you could get to it. Right. And I went there at midnight, or at least well after dark mm-hmm. with friends. And I remember we were going through and looking at, indeed, some of these metal coffins lying in the grass and all that, and the opened graves on the wall. And suddenly, some, there's a sound... And here's this hulking form coming out of the dark. It turned out one of the some drunk, you know, bum uh-huh. had been sleeping in one of the the tombs. Well, in one of the empty slots in the wall. New Orleans <laughs> never changes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Things are always the same. <laughs> the Jesus out of all of us. Sure. Uh, yeah. Well, so so we just uh, finished Mardi Gras. Just ended. It's actually, recording this on Ash Wednesday. Um, what were your memories of of Mardi Gras uh, back in the days? Well, for one thing, it was infinitely smaller. I mean, you know, Bourbon Street was very crowded. Uh, if you walked off it one block, I wouldn't say it was almost empty, but it was. Really free flow. I mean, you were out of it. You uh-huh. could bring a car in to park in the French Quarter, right? And, you know, be only a f- couple, a few blocks from from uh, uh, b- Bourbon Street. Uh-huh. But there were a lot of, you know, good costumes. When uh, you came down that with the, your friend, was it for Mardi Gras or just no? For, no, no. It was we came down in summer. Okay. In oh, fact, okay. you know, it was, and in that those seems days, like a less inviting time. To, <laughs> if in, you love New Orleans in the summer, you really love. Oh it. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, I still feel that. You I like mean, the you like the heat. I can, well, you know, nobody likes <laughs> heat in summer. That is, uh, yeah, I Don it. still has no air conditioning in Mississippi. Wow. Yeah, I don't. Okay. But you can have stand. it there simply be because it? it would keep me in the side. It would be too tempting. Yeah. So, so, and I want to be out, uh, but uh, that could be your uh, 
the explanation for your longevity that you've, I don't you've know rarely why. been air conditioned. Uh, I mean, that's, I, that is a thing about. Uh, I've heard all sorts of other explanations, you know, like including to, the one which I bide, uh, believe in. There ain't no justice in the world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that explains your longevity. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but. Uh, Anyway, yes, I prefer cold. I mean, heat to cold. Me too. Me yeah. too. Can't. Okay. Uh, yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah if I'm honest. There are only humidity. I would take humidity over dry. Me too. I hate dry. I know. Well, I'll take either one of them, but yeah. They, you did um, some conservation stuff in the desert too, didn't you? What now? In the desert was it New Mexico? Oh yeah, yeah. That's my most important book. The one that I'm proudest of. It never made big-time money, but it had a lot of influence on decisions made by the government at that time. It was used by some people. And what's that title? Uh, Not Temple of the Jaguar. No, no. No, okay. Uh, Incident at Eagle Ranch. at Eagle Ranch, yes. Ranch, okay. Tell us about that book. Yeah, that's a very important book. uh, And that's based in where? In New Mexico, or it's it's a study of the of the relationship between humans and predators in the American West. That's the subtitle, and what it deals with is the way the government deals with mountain lions, coyotes, wolves, eagles, golden eagles, animals that prey on and make a nuisance of themselves with regard to the livestock industry, mm. which in those days was a big issue with the very powerful livestock industry. And they had a whole government agency which existed solely to kill predatory wildlife. And my book was a study of the validity of that whole approach and you know, it goes into. I've read every damn boring little graduate paper by a wildlife manager. <laughs> yeah. You know <laughs> about what the, was happening on this ranch or that ranch. Right. But it was a very well researched, and I think well written book. In the first part of and it, at how least. How old were you when you wrote that? How old? How old were you when you wrote it? Oh, that was. I was old. I was. Recently. Well, it was, was nineteen eighty. I was published. So. Yeah, so I was nineteen. And how I was old were you? I was writing it during the nineteen seventies. Okay, and so you would have been in your forties. Fifty. Fifty one. <laughs> Good mathematician. Take me. I, I'm actually terrible, but I, I can do I can do that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, it was. Uh, yes, I'm very proud of that book and. Uh, Nice. It did do. It made it made, made some difference. difference. Yes, right? they they still have some sort of organization that controls things, but it's mainly, you know, blackbirds and well, stuff like that. Well, for my vote, I'd say the coyotes definitely won. Because good for them. Well, I think well, they'll be around for a long time. Coyotes well, coyotes, there's no question that they are scrappy, adaptable. Scrappy. But it's still, it's disgusting. And also, when they would put out poison, for example, to poison the coyotes, buzzards, uh, eagles, you know, yeah. small foxes, anything else would die too. 
So it wasn't just them. Well, well, they, the the government, thankfully, to some degree, figured out that when we when we uh, kill these predatory species, it, the 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 prey winds up getting sick and all kinds of stuff happens. I guess that doesn't happen with cattle because they they manage all that. But as far as like. Uh, you know, wild uh, prey like deer, anything like that, all those populations wind up having all kind of problems when you take the predator out yeah, of the yeah, yeah, right? yeah. so All that is dealt with. It's a very thorough job. Right. Nice. Um, deals, Where I, can I read it if I want to read it? I have a copy of two oh. over there. Hey, over that's here. probably okay. available on Amazon yeah, or that's you know, right. any, of these, any of these places. Will you sign it for me? No, because I'm just lending it to you. Oh, okay. Yeah, you <laughs> can get it, it somewhere. I know you can get yeah, it. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. It's widely available. Right to Amazon or something. Yeah, right. national beat. I'm not making any more money from it, but you would. I mean, the Amazon would, but anyway. Well, it's not the money, Don. Ultimately, obviously, you have enough money to last you the rest of your life, don't you? I have to think, yeah. But but I'm saying the the point is the the your influence you know your your uh, your legacy you know the 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 people you've met that's that will go on and on uh, past our years right that's got to be gratifying huh honestly I don't think much in those terms no? I'm concerned about the way the world is going and I am concerned very much about what how the natural world is going because it's still going to hell. And, uh, yeah, you know, but uh, I mean, look, I'm 92 years old. My main interest now is uh, getting out quietly and peacefully. That's my main interest. Anybody who's 92 years old will understand what I'm saying. Yeah. No, nothing morbid. I understand no. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. N Nicole and I, I are. Fully understand it. N Nicole and I want need all the advice we can get. <laughs> we're, we're looking to our. To now our you know it's interesting though. You know we are we we know from very early on that we're going to die, but there is a faculty in our nerve system somewhere that protects us from really knowing that we're going to die. We live quite cheerfully with the awareness that we're going to die, not really thinking of it in terms of, hey, I'm going to die someday. When you're in the 90s, it becomes, it, real. It becomes somewhat more real. And I'm not being morbid or anything <laughs> no, else no. about it. But it, it's just your attitude changes. You, you cannot be saying, you know, it's something that happens to other people, not me. Right. So... It really does happen. It's not morbid. Again, I say it's just realistic. Yeah. I was going to say, does that give you a sense of peace? What now? Does that give you a sense no. of peace? No. <laughs> Peacefulness has never been anything that I knew. Ascribe to, or 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 aspire to, rather. I just was not good at. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like being agitated and concerned and being. Uh, you know, a certain kind of worry and all that. Uh huh. Sort of thing. Uh huh. Well, you, you, I, I look at you and your frame and your whole disposition. It reminds me of myself. You know, you, I, I imagine you were always kind of a, you know, uh, wiry guy, a little tightly wound, <laughs> perhaps. I guess I don't know. Right. So, no so, one would ever I, accuse me I of being. I would call you a, a, someone who frets. 
Who what? Who had, who frets about things? Who's anxious? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So so you feel the ninety-two-year-old you is very much the same as the twelve-year-old you? No, or? no. I was trying to make clear that now I understand that I'm going to die, which I never right. understood when I was twelve. Right. Well, sure, sure. And uh, that simply makes a difference. I mean, it just does. It's not necessarily morbid. No. And all that uh, at all. But it's just different. It's uh, you're not you, you in terms of yourself. You're no longer really thinking in terms of the future, of what you're going to be doing, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, you're at the end of the game. That's all. Wow, Don, this has been so great, man. You've been so generous. Uh, thank you so much for for uh, you know sharing all this with the. The troubled nation in the feral zone. Well, I'm human. I love to talk about myself. Is there anybody who doesn't love to talk about himself? <laughs> Some people are less good at it, though. <laughs> Nicole is very good. I'm pretty yeah, good at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Nicole. You're pretty good at yeah, it. Yeah, I have to. I, I must take this public moment to no, acknowledge the fact that not. Nicole has been really. She's a nurse. And I've been getting a lot of free attention from her. Good for you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. Your friendship has been a pleasure from the first day that I met you. How oh, did you guys shucks. meet? How did you guys meet, actually? That's a good oh. question. How did you guys uh, first meet? All right. It was, I remember, oddly, I'm not good at dates or anything like that, but I sure. did remember exactly because it was the day after. Guess who was one as president? Mm. A great bilious Trump. Yes. And I was very depressed and uh, had decided to do something to be active to get to escape the fear of depression that had taken me over. So I pulled a little ladder out in the garden and put it up on a shed. As I was, was going to clean out some gutters, <laughs> rain gutters. It was raining. It was wet, wet, and the uh -huh. deck was very slippery. So I climbed up to the top of it, at which point the, the uh, lattice zipped out from under me. I fell down. There's a little metal table out there that you put flower pots on, and I cracked my, the back of my head open with the edge of the... It was a pretty nasty... Yeah. Deep cut. Yes. I went to urgent care. Well, I was going to go up to, oh, yeah, well, that was it. I, when, I was going to go up to the place uh, anyway, just let it bleed out. and To your ignore. place in Mississippi. Yeah, your, yeah. Your I wish I had contact. planned to do the next day. Anyway, uh -huh. and a friend came by and said, you've got to go to urgent care. So I went to urgent care. They had a very nice, incompetent, I mean, competent, not mm -hmm. incompetent, okay. a competent, woman doctor there and she dug deep it was deep i could tell and uh sewed it up but i had in the whole house i had no rear hand mirror a hand mirror mm -hmm. so i couldn't see the cut it was on the back of my head uh -huh. and so i called up a neighbor who i liked and knew but did, was not a close friend uh, who happened to be holly pavi the mother of this young lady here uh -huh. and she kindly brought over a, a, a hand mirror so I could look at it and that was that and then 
three or four days later, she called up and said, you know, Donald, my daughter, who is a nurse, has just come back from Australia, and would you like her to come over and look at the at that cut of yours? Mm-hmm. And so, sure. And so she came over. She looked at it. She washed it out. And then we sat here in this room and uh, started talking. And we've been talking ever since. Nice. So. Nicole knows how to talk. <laughs> She's well, a good so talker. I. I know. I can tell. <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> I know. My mother asked me. She said, what do you do over there <laughs> for all those hours? And I said, oh, drink martinis, talk. <laughs> Well, some, you know, it's very nice when you meet someone new who you feel a certain, you know, affinity with, but they don't know anything about you and you can tell all the stories and blah, 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 that, you know. Right. It's a new audience. Yeah. yeah I mean, yes. yeah, so. so we've been a new audience for the last five years. Nice. Nice. Nicole's got a lot of stories, too. She, you let her talk sometimes? Oh, yeah. I'm okay. very gracious. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I know more about her life than she knows about me. Okay. About All right. <laughs> How do you know? You <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh... Nicole, thank you so much for setting all this up. And uh, Don, thank you so much. You've been a fantastic guest. Renee, you set everything up. You said, we've, we've just, it's Don and you, thank you uh, for having us. We like, we like to make it happen here in the, in the yes, feral zone yes, of yes. the Troubled Men podcast. Yes, when the troubled man wants what he <laughs> wants, the troubled man gets it. Well, uh, Don, Nicole, as always in the, in, the, in the troubled nation, we like to say trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Gonna get myself some coffee. Maybe buy me something sweet. Away there to the pushers. Say hey there to the beat. Gonna trip the light fantastic. Gonna relish life in peace. Gonna hook the moon up like a balloon. I'm gonna walk down Royal Street. Gonna hang on to the lampposts. Don't the dead fish smell so sweet? I'll pretend I like you Yankees here as I walk down Royal Street. You don't have to call me Colonel. But please, Madam B, scream. I got the wormwood in my spirit as I walk.